Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. Father, thanks for the word. You didn't leave us in the darkness. You didn't leave us to find our way. You gave us the word of God to light our path. And we ask now, Holy Spirit, that you'd make it live, that we would understand this book, and that it would feed us and build us up, and we'd go out of here today stronger than we came in with the word of God in our hearts. And I pray for the grace of God to speak the word in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm talking to you about a very... um, interesting subject. I'm going to talk to you today about the, uh, the law of Moses. Now that, it's been a while since you've heard that preached. And uh, we're going to talk about how it relates to a Christian. Because the law of Moses is really the heart of the Old Testament covenant. I'm going to read you simply the Ten Commandments. And then I will take you to some comments by St. Paul comments at his teaching in Romans 7. And we're going to look at what the law means in our lives for today. And you're going to find that, frankly, there's a real blessing here. There's a real blessing. Christians often don't know what to do with the law of Moses. Is it, are we obligated to keep it? Are we not obligated to keep it? It's all of this kind of thing. You're going to find that the gospel uh, is powerfully there. And let's have a look at it. So here we go. Chapter 20 of Exodus, verse number 1. Then God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And here begins the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourselves an idol, or any likeness of what is in heaven or above, or on the earth beneath, or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. Now, I know there's a a troubling passage there. We'll deal with it another time. But showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male or female servant, or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. And therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be prolonged in the land in which the Lord your God gives you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Now, That's the Ten Commandments. It's the heart of the law of Moses. 
It goes on, the Lord goes on and gives Moses, right up through chapter 23, a whole list of rules and regulations which the people of Israel were going to agree or not agree to keep if they were going to enter into covenant with God there at Mount Sinai. These are then read to the entire two million people. And then the Lord, uh, then Moses says, you know, will you or will you not obey them? And all in unison in one great voice, they said, we will do all the Lord has spoken. So the people accept the rules and regulations and say, we will live by God's standards. And then a covenant ceremony is actually conducted. And I'll describe that another time. But where the blood is applied to both parties, the whole thing, and God and the people of Israel enter into a solemn covenant and they become unique in all, all the nations of the earth and become God's own people. It's really quite a beautiful thing. But the heart is this Ten Commandments. And let me say something. The Ten Commandments reflect the heart of God. They reflect his character. And in that sense, they will never change. A million years from now, it'll still be wrong to steal. A million years from now, it'll still be wrong to commit adultery. A million years from now, it'll still be wrong to lie. A million years from now, we still won't be coveting. It won't be something that's part of the heart of God. Those things do not change. They will never change. There's, there's, there's things that have passed away, but there's certain things that will never pass away. Now, what I want to show you, first of all, is why God gave the Ten Commandments. And you may find a bit of a surprise in that. Would you turn with me to Matthew 22? Jesus tells us very specifically why the Lord gave the Ten Commandments. Here he is having a dialogue with a lawyer, a Pharisee. And they're trying to see if they can catch him in things, I think. And so one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. And the teacher, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? The, the Jews actually assume, uh, count, I think, 600, and I don't remember how many total laws in all of the laws of Moses. There's 600 of them, and so he says, which is the greatest of them all? And Jesus right there answers him. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Let's, let's say that statement together. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That is the number one goal of the law of God. To teach us to do what? Love God. With all our heart, all our soul, all our mind. To passionately and with, with abandon to love God. Now he tells us the second reason for the law of God. And he said, the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Let's say that. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now look at verse 40. This is very powerful. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. In other words, the entire Old Testament, the entire Old Testament is trying to teach two things. Two simple things. The law of God, the Ten Commandments, the prophets, the whole thing is trying to teach two things. What are they? Love God and love your neighbor. That's the purpose of all of this, trying to teach people to love the Lord and love their neighbor. Let me show you one other passage just to kind of reinforce that. Romans chapter 13. 
Paul comments on the same thing. Verse 8. Romans 13, verse 8. Paul says, Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. Do you see that? You know, you can put aside all the rules and regulations about whether your ox scores your neighbor's ox, but the point is loving. If I love my neighbor, I will do right by my neighbor. If I love my neighbor, I won't steal from my neighbor. If I love my neighbor, I won't lie in court about my neighbor. If I love my neighbor, I won't commit adultery against my neighbor. Do you see that? If it just boils right on down, if I really love the way God wants me to love, I'm not going to do those things. Love is ultimately the guide. And when I begin to move in the love of God, I fulfill the law. As simply as that, because this is the point of the law. It's why the Lord gave it. He's trying to teach people how to love. So he says, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law for this. You shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there's any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Could he be more clear? Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. Ah, the purpose of the law of Moses then is very clear. Why, why did God give this code of laws and these rules? He was trying to teach people to love who? God and? That's why he gave it. He was trying to teach us to love. But it didn't work. It did not work well. Now, that's the question. Why didn't it work? You know, uh, the Sermon on the Mount is a wonderful situation with that. Jesus takes the law, the Ten Commandments, and then he makes them worse. Have you noticed? I, I, and when I was in college, I'll never forget this, years ago I was, I was walking back to my dorm and a, and a friend of mine came up to me and just stopped me right in the, in the, in the road and he said, have you, read the Ten Com- have you read the Sermon on the Mount? I said, well, yes, I have. And he said, what do you do with that thing? I said, what do you mean? He said, well, I was having enough troubles with the Ten Commandments. And then he says, Jesus comes along and makes it worse. And, and if you know what he's saying, Jesus says, you know, the law says you shall not kill. But I'm telling you, if you even call somebody an airhead, raka, that's basically what it, you, if, you, if, you, if you belittle other people, you've murdered them in your heart. The law says thou shalt not commit adultery, but I say if you even look after somebody, you're mentally disloyal, you've broken the law. The law says... You know, thou, and it goes on like that. And so by the time Jesus is done, anybody with any integrity goes, Oy vey! It's Jewish. Oy vey! Who can be saved? And of course, that's actually where Jesus was going. He was showing us the heart of God. He was showing, God is trying to teach you to love him and your neighbor. And he's saying, this isn't simply some little rules you can keep on a superficial level. This is something that's meant to go right to your heart. He's trying to change your heart. Don't you get it? And of course, if we're honest with ourselves, all of us have fallen short, haven't we? I mean, you know, I know there are churches that when they prepare for communion will actually read the Ten Commandments first so that everybody is good and guilty. (laughs) And that's a good thing, really. I mean, you kind of go, whoa! 
And then, of course, you are so grateful for the mercy of God through Jesus Christ. You see, we do fall short. Now, Paul is going to tell us why we fall short. And he's going to tell us how the law, God uses the law in our lives now. And so let's have a look at that. And that's in chapter 7 of Romans. I am going to make my points without reading the whole chapter. And, so, and they won't simply follow in an in a, in a order here exactly. But the first point I want you to, to show you is in verse 12. Paul says that though the law condemns us, when you look at the Ten Commandments, and though it judges every person who's ever lived, it is a good thing. He says the law is holy, righteous, and good. And considering the holy God has given it to us to teach us to love one another, it is a holy, righteous, and good thing. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, if you look at it at face value, nobody can say I should steal, lie, commit adultery, bring false testimony in court, dishonor my parents. I mean, just go down the line. I mean, nobody in their right mind is going to say, well, that's a good thing. It's, the law is good, isn't it? It's a good set of values. It's the right thing to do. And yet it is in, our, in the human experience, it's brought condemnation. It sits there telling us what to do and we all fall short. So Paul says, first of all, let's get clear. Though the law has brought condemnation on people, it's a holy good thing. It isn't like God has wrote a bad law. The problem's on our end of the deal. Point number two. It reveals sin by contrasting our behavior with God's standards. Verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. For I would not have known about coveting if the law had said, you shall not covet. And so God gave us his standards saying, here's the way loving people behave. And then I compare it to my own and I realize I'm a sinner. But that's a good thing. Number three, it has jurisdiction over those who live apart from faith. Verse one, he says, Do you not know, brethren, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law, the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments, has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives? How many in the room are alive? Huh. Four. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. So over, over a person who is alive, he says the law of God has jurisdiction. Now that's not a good thing. Because if I have to live by that standard and it's judging me daily, I'm in trouble. Ah, but here comes the next mystery. Verse 2. And, and it's, this may not make sense to you at first, but I'll tell you what, it's, it's very powerful. For the married woman is bound by law to her husband while she's living. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law concerning the husband. Paul is saying this, the law has no jurisdiction over someone who's dead. Ah, the law judges people that are alive, but it doesn't judge people that are dead. You say, well, what good does that do when I'm a corpse who cares anymore? Amen. You know, how does that help? Here's the wonder of it all. Here's the wonder of it all. 
It is possible to join Christ on the cross and die with him by faith. Verse 4. Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, so that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. In the spiritual world, when you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, I mean, you, you see your sin, you see what he did on the cross, you receive it, and then you commit yourself to following him with abandon. You sell all to possess the treasure. You choose to follow him. Paul in Galatians 5 says that those of us who are Christians have crucified the flesh and its passions. That means we nailed them to the cross. We said, I will not live under the control of flesh or passion, but I will follow the lordship of Jesus Christ. Now, how many have in this room would say, I have done that. I have trusted him as my savior. I have submitted to him as my Lord. I am a born-again man or woman. Raise your hand. Praise God. Hold them up. Now, I want to tell you something. Here's what the Bible says. Those of you with your hand in the air right now, aha, those of you with your hand in the air have been joined to Jesus in his death. You have already died. In the spiritual realm, your death by faith is considered a literal death. You can put your hands down. Isn't that amazing? Now, the law has jurisdiction over those who live, but you now have actually died a death by joining another in his death by faith. But in the spiritual world, it's taken as a literal death. You are literally dead. You died with Christ. When we baptize you, we take and layer, lower you down into a watery grave. That's what it represents. We lower you into a watery grave, joining you in the death of Jesus Christ. We bury you, we buried together with him in death, raised together with him in newness of life. That's what we say. We put you in his grave. We, we lay you right down into the grave with Jesus. You die with him. Now, if you're dead, spiritually, in that sense, does the law apply to you now? People are looking at me like, it's a trick question. Don't answer it. <laughs> Think about it. If you're spiritually dead, if you died with Christ, and so, the, so in the spiritual world, you are already dead. You've died your death. Does the law of Moses apply to you? And that's something? It does not. Now that's almost scary. You can go, wait a minute. You mean the Ten Commandments don't apply to me? I can go hog wild. I can dishonor my parents, steal, lie, and commit adultery. Hallelujah. <laughs> that's not where we're going with it. But it's almost scary. In fact, it's scary. when Paul taught this, it scared the early church. Peter makes comment. You know, Paul has some hard things to understand. But he's teaching something radical. He's telling us that we literally are free from the law. Now, you need, if you understand that, it gets rid of guilt. It gets rid of condemnation. Don't we often look at how we've done this week? 
Well, have I behaved well? Have I prayed enough? Have I read my Bible enough? Have I? And we begin to kind of look at this and decide, is he happy with me or does he love me? Am I okay with God based on how I've done this week? And yet if you realize the truth of what he's just said, you'll realize that God loves you with, a, with an eternal love based on what Christ has done. You are loved because the law is no longer your judge, period, at all, ever. You say, well, then what motivation do I have to live right? You love the Lord with all your heart. You love him. You see, now, within a true believer, the heart wants to please God. We're not looking at rebels. We're looking at people who aren't, haven't figured out how in, you know, areas of our lives. But you are looking at people that fundamentally want to please the Lord. That's how come we're saved. If, we didn't, if you don't love him... You aren't saved. And so the heart has changed in a believer. And so you can take the whip off their back. You don't whip them down the road. You don't need to. This horse wants to run. What you need now is fatherly care. You need the Lord to take us as his, our heavenly father and train us and show us how to walk in the victory we want to walk in. To walk in the cleanness we want to walk in. To treat our wives the way we want to treat our wives. To treat our husbands the way we want to treat our husbands. To, to handle our finances the way we want to handle our finances. We want to please him. We need him to show us how. That's the new walk. But the law is gone. Because we're dead. But we're also joined with him in his resurrection. And so we are alive forevermore. Hallelujah. All right. Is there something wrong with God's law? I already point out that it condemned people. No, the problem, what is the problem? The problem is there's a compulsive tendency that resides in every physical body. These compulsive forces do not disappear when a person becomes a Christian and can keep that person trapped in addictive behaviors. Look at verse, well, start at verse 14. Paul says, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh sold into bondage to sin. And then he describes what is, in my mind, the struggle of a believer. The heart wants to please God, but there's some kind of forces that prevent it or make it hard to do. Now listen to the, the struggle inside of him. For what I'm doing, I do not understand what I'm practicing I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I'm doing the very thing I hate. And if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing the law is good. My heart says, this is good. I want to love God. I want to love people. So now I am no longer the one doing it, but what? Sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is my flesh, because something very good dwells in me. And what is that? You bet. And so he says, uh, he qualifies himself real quickly going, oh, no, no, I mean in my flesh, in the, you know, the stuff of my body. Somehow, I have inherited a rebellious tendency virtually in my DNA from Adam and Eve. There's something in me, just born as a human, that causes it, me, it hard, to be hard for me to love God or to love others. But I do a great job on loving myself. 
I hear some people say, I just don't love myself, and I frankly don't believe that. Um, but I do think some of us have very damaged self-images and, and have been abused, and I understand that. But the human nature is that if you wound me, I'll try, to, I'll try to comfort it. I will take care of myself. And loving my neighbor like that means that I care for you like I would care for me. I want for you what I would want for me. When something good happens for you, I, I rejoice in it just as though it had happened to me. So these compulsive forces do not disappear when a person becomes a Christian and can keep that person trapped in addictive behaviors. Now, this is really important. I'm giving you really basic Christianity right now, but you've got to get a hold of this. Is the law applied to me? Am I, under, am I under the judgment of the law? But I still have something hanging on. In my flesh, I still have a rebellious force. Paul calls sin, this rebellious tendency. Anybody in here not have that? Yeah. You know what I'm talking about. You find temper. You find fears. Mine particularly likes to express itself on Monday morning in the garage. I, if I go out in the garage and something falls off a shelf on me, it's like, I am immediately incensed. I don't know why. I don't know what my problem is. But I can have fears. I can find worries. I can wake up in the morning and my mind just like a, like a seeking thing looks for some. What can I worry about? Come on, there's got to be something. Yeah, I know that's all right, but it doesn't matter. What, what's wrong? Anybody else have a mind like that? Isn't it icky? Yeah. And I then, and I'll, I'll get to the solution in just a minute, but I, the tendency is there. And we're told that this sinful stuff is still in our bodies. Let me show you a very significant verse. Uh, chapter 8, verse 10. Paul is talking about how we now ha have Christ in us the whole, and the, and the, by the Holy Spirit. And he says, if Christ is in you, look at this, though the body is dead. He's talking about Christians. If Christ is in you, Though the body is dead, this old chunk of meat that I, I got from Adam and Eve is dead because of sin, yet the spirit, my spirit, is alive because of righteousness, because I'm in Christ. So I got two different things going here. I have now a, a solution. If this, this problem of sin, Paul says, is why the law failed. Why couldn't God just give us ten decent commandments and say, do them, and the human race goes, okay. Why? Because we were diseased. We inherited this. Every human, every human, every child born since Adam and Eve. You know, if people get this through their heads, repenting becomes pretty easy. People often think, well, you're saying I'm a bad person. Absolutely. <laughs> Doggone right. Read my lips. <laughs> but what you got to put in perspective is we're saying every human's got this. The nicest little old grandma. Get down to the heart. has got, got the same flesh as a, as a teenage boy on the street. Everybody's got this stuff. Nobody can point the finger at every, somebody else and say, you got a problem, and you got sin, and I don't. Nobody can say that. We all got it. That's why the, that's why the Bible says that he has put under judgment 
all the earth, all human race, that we all might be saved. <laughs> See, that's where he's going with this. Now, God has provided a way of escape. Look at verse 25. We are not left in this pickle. Verse 25 says, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then on the one hand, I myself with my mind, I'm serving the law of God. My heart and spirit wants to love him and love people. But on the other hand, with my flesh, the law of sin. Who's going to get me out of this mess? Who will set me free from the body of this death? Verse 24. And here comes the answer. Chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Would you read that with me? Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Tell me why there's no condemnation. We're dead. The law can do nothing more to us. It doesn't apply. N.A., not applicable. So, that buys me time. I can grow in Christ. I can learn things. I can stumble and fail and make mistakes and the Lord can teach me and I can grow. All the while, there's no condemnation. Aren't you grateful? That makes this workable. This will work. While I'm learning to get victory, and we're going to talk about it in one second, over this sinful, fearful, angry, lustful, temperamental stuff in my body, I have no condemnation. I'm loved of the Father on my good days and my bad days. There's no judgment against me for, because of what Christ has done. Even when I, I, I fail miserably, I'm covered. I'm covered. While he teaches me to walk in a new walk. Let's see the new walk. He says, there's no condemnation for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Aha! The law of the spirit of life in Christ has set me free from this compulsive junk that resides in my flesh. What the law could not do, weak as it was because of human flesh, it failed to do what? Teach people to love God and love their neighbor. The law couldn't do it. It failed because of the weakness of human flesh and this sinful junk that resides in it. What it couldn't do, God did. Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an, and as an offering for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. The son of God came and all the judgment due all of us for what our flesh has done fell on him and God judged the sin of the human race in his son who became one of us. Got it? The price has been paid. Justice has been served, applied to him all at once. What I, you know, that's virtually inconceivable. For one person to suddenly come under the judgment of, for the entire human race is just appalling. It's, it's beyond our imagination, but that's what our Lord did for us. So that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, in other words, following it, focusing on it, but according to the Spirit. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. And I've shown you this before, but here's the key. Where do I set my mind? You see that? I have a choice. As a Christian now, I've still got the stuff in my body. I can have a bad Monday morning. 
But within me, God has placed a power far greater than that power of sin. And what is that power? The Holy Spirit. God himself has come inside me. You figure that's enough power to overcome even your flesh? Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. But I have a role to play in this thing. It's not automatic. When you get saved, the whole one thing doesn't fall away. I have a role to play on a regular basis. And that is where do I set my mind? That's the thing I can control. Do I set my mind on the things of the flesh? Meaning, do I think about how to get rich all the time? Do I think about pornography? Do I think about angry revenge I'm going to get against my brother-in-law? Do I think about whatever your thing is? I can, Monday morning, when all my worries go down the line, do I sit and think about them? Because when I do, boy, the Bible says the mindset on the flesh is death. Boy, I can, get, I can confirm that. It just death your hopes, death your dreams, death to everything just starts dying. You want to you crawl in a hole and die, don't you? You focus your mind on the flesh, you get so discouraged, depressed, and fearful. Just death is the word for it. He says, but the mindset on the spirit, on the things of God, is life and peace. I love that. Now, here's how it works. You can, you, how do you set your mind on the things of the spirit? How do you do it? How do you do it? You think about God. What kinds of ways do you think about God? Meditating in the word of God? You read the word of God. You bet. Worshiping him? Loving others, praying. It's simple, but it takes wisdom and discipline, doesn't it? It takes wisdom and discipline. Now, I'm going to tell you something. That does not, this is not for you. I'm not suggesting this as a general rule. But God has just said this to me on vacation. I have, I have my own prayer life and all of that, but he, said, he was, basically told me, I want you to go deeper. That's what he said. I want you to spend an hour a day. This isn't for you. This is for me. I'm just sharing something to illustrate a point. He said, I want you to spend an hour a day praying in the Spirit. That doesn't mean just in tongues, but it means generally I'll be praying in tongues and then I'll pray in English. And as the Lord gives it to me, I'll maybe pray Scripture. But what he doesn't want me to do is, is pray out of my brain. He wants to be guiding what I pray. Now, what is he doing? And I, he told me why. He told me this in the middle of the night. He woke me up and I went out and sat on the couch. And he, and he said, you have let your spirit get weak. And he said, you're asking for revival and your spirit must be stronger. I need you to be able to move in the prophetic. I need you to be able to hear my voice. You need to awaken something that you've let grow dormant inside. All right, so I have not, this isn't for you, this is for me. I have this process at which I'm having to pray much more aggressively. But I've, I've noticed something remarkable. I usually go, I'll go for a walk or something because, you know, you're going to pray like this. I find that I can wake up with that fearful thing gripping me, you know, that, oh, everything's bad. <laughs> and then I'm praying along and I'm talking to the Lord. I, I did it this morning. And then I, I, I started by praying in, in, in uh, tongues and then I began to pray in English. I believe I was interpreting what I was praying. And I found myself thanking him for all the good things he was doing. That was not my tendency. And... <laughs> But as I listened to that, I began to thank him and bless him for the good things he was doing and the wonderful things that were at work. I find that fear just melt off. And suddenly I feel a boldness. I can do this. Remember we talked about the hiding place? 
When he refreshes you in the hiding place, you, can come out, you come out with boldness. You come out with the strength to overcome temptations and fears. The stuff just breaks away. Far greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world or in this flesh of our bodies. We can live. But the key is what? Focusing my mind. You and I must learn to discipline ourselves to take our mind off the things of the world and put it on the things of God. That's your secret. That's your point of victory. All right, let's review. What was the purpose of the law of Moses? Teach us to love God and love one another. How well did it work? Didn't work. Why didn't it work? Because of the sinfulness in human flesh. We couldn't do it. But God has supplied a solution. And what is his solution? First of all, he has caused us to die with Christ, which means what? The law's gone. Because in the spiritual world, you and I are dead. So the law can no longer condemn me. How many are glad to be free of the law? You don't do things because the law's on your back. Aren't you glad of that? But he's also allowed me now, with that freedom, am I going to go hog wild? Why not? I love him. And I want to serve him. And so now he's given me a new power to obey him. And the power is the Holy Spirit who dwells within me. But I must choose to harness that power or literally harness myself to it. I must choose to draw on that power. And I do it how? By setting my mind. On the things of the Spirit. And I do that by prayer, worship, fellowship with believers, Bible study. I turn my mind and I put it on the things of God. And when I do that, the Spirit of God strengthens me. And I now walk in a new power. They that are led by the, uh, by the Spirit are sons of God. Sons and daughters of the living God. They that are led by the Spirit, that are full of the Spirit. This is how. So, has God just thrown the law out the window and said, now I don't care if you fulfill the law? Oh no. He's given us a brand new way to do it. And the new way now is as sons and daughters, children of, of a father, not slaves, but children, being taught and led by the Holy Spirit, day by day we learn to fulfill the law. Meaning we learn to love with all our hearts and with all our soul and with all our strength. And we learn to love as ourselves. Isn't he brilliant? This is the gospel. Would you stand with me? How many today understand you're free from the law? How many today deeply want to love the Lord and to love others with all your heart? Well, we can. And we can by the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. We can walk in that. Let the Lord teach you how you're to set your mind on him. Everybody's going to be different. We all have our own special places, our own special ways. It becomes very personal as to how I learn to set my mind on him and get close to him. My hiding place, as it were. You'll have one, though. You'll have one. If we don't have them, what we do is we stumble along and get so discouraged... And then finally the Lord says, you done yet? Are you done trying to handle it in your own flesh? You ready to draw in my spirit? 
And then we learn to have that hiding place. And then we come out strong. If anybody in the, is in this room and you feel, no, this doesn't work for me. My flesh is too strong. I'm defeated over and over again. I'm telling you, you, you haven't gotten it. If you learn to do what we've talked about today, you will indeed have strength. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Free indeed. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Without question. There's no question about this. You can walk in total freedom. You can walk in total freedom. God has made provision more than enough for us to walk in freedom. First of all, just with heads bowed, who needs to say, Lord, I choose... I know that I need to have a deeper time with you that the strength of God might come to me. Teach me, Father, how to set my mind on you in new ways and draw more deeply on that strength. Who needs to say, that's me? Lord, thank you that you will teach us that. Holy Spirit, come and honor the prayers right now of every man or woman with a hand up. Teach them. Teach them, Lord. Teach me. And now one more question. Anybody today, I've talked about Christians and I've told you the Christian life. This is really the, this is Christianity, right? Down to its bare root. And you say, well, I've really never made that choice with all my heart to serve God. I've never made that choice to trust Jesus Christ. I'm aware I'm a sinner, but I haven't made that choice. But today I would like to make that choice. I'm ready to do it. This is my moment. I'm going to choose from this day forward. I want to live that life you talked about. Anybody need to raise your hand and say, that's me today, Pastor. I'm choosing. Yes, God bless you. God bless you, brother. Who else? Who else needs to say, this is my day. I'm choosing Jesus Christ. It needs to be a starting point. It's a definite moment you say, I'm choosing Jesus and submitting to him as Lord. Who else? Anyone else would say, this is my day. Yes, God bless you, young man. Praise God. Hallelujah. Anybody I missed? Yes. God bless you, brother. Yes. Thank you, Lord. This is so important. So precious. When people make that, I'm a, this is not baloney. You choose Jesus, this works. You walk in it, you got victory. He'll give you your future back. He'll give you your hope back. He'll give you your reason for re living back. Honestly, he will. You walk in this, it works. It works. Anybody else? One more. One more. This is my last, my last call. Anybody else? Want to just say, all right, I'm choosing with you. Yes, God bless you, sister. And you. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I'm glad I waited. If I wait a minute, sometimes the Holy Spirit just pulls us out a little farther. Praise you, Lord. All right. Those of you that raised your hands particularly... I'm going to lead us all in prayer, and I'd like you to pray this and mean it. We'll, we'll be responding to Jesus, just as I told you earlier. Everybody together, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your Son, Jesus. You sent him to earth to die on the cross for my sins. I am a sinner. I'm not going to pretend not to be. I know I haven't lived up to the law of God. And if you give me justice, I'll perish in hell. But today, because of your love, your mercy, you've given me eternal life. I accept Jesus Christ as my sacrifice. Your son died in my place. 
I believe it with all my heart. And I receive what he did. Thank you that I die now with Christ. And the law has no more condemnation in my life. I am forgiven, free from the judgment of God. Hallelujah. Jesus Christ, I do love you. You are my Lord. I trust you completely. I put my hand in yours and ask you to lead my life. I'm not the boss anymore. You're the Lord. I submit to you. Fill me now with your Holy Spirit. And I confess that by the Holy Spirit, I can do all things. I can live a victorious life. I can fulfill my purpose for which I was made. I can glorify you. You'll never leave me for all eternity. I welcome the Spirit of God inside me. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. Let's celebrate with those who've just made a precious decision. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.